Judith Chartier was a 17-year-old teenage girl growing up and finding her way in 1982. She had a job at a fast food restaurant, drove a Dodge Dart, and was in a serious relationship, enough so to be engaged. Judy had seven brothers and had a good relationship with both of her parents. On June 5th, she would attend a party in Bilreka, Massachusetts. Bilreka is located about seven miles from Judith's hometown of Chelmsford, Massachusetts. During the party, Judy and her fiancé would have a fight, the specifics of which are unknown, and Judy would take him home and then return back to the party, where she would stay until around 2 a.m. She was seen leaving the party at that time, but Judith would never be seen or heard from again. Where is Judith Chartier? podcast. Our podcast goal is to spread awareness of unsolved missing persons cases. Someone might just hold the key to solving these mysteries. Today's episode is going to take us back to 1982 and the unsolved disappearance of 17-year-old teenager Judith Ann Chartier. Judy disappeared and left behind a loving family, seven brothers, and a fiancé. A huge thank you to Pam Fitzgerald for suggesting this case to us on Facebook. Once I started looking into Judith's story, I couldn't stop. Thank you, Pam, for bringing Judith Chartier's case to our attention. Before jumping in, I do have a couple of quick notes about the show. May is Missing and Unidentified Persons Awareness Month, and May 25th is National Missing Children's Day. Our charity focus this month will be Find the Children. You can read more about them at findthechildren.com. And proceeds from the sale of items in our online store will be donated to this organization. If you're interested in some Where Are They swag and supporting the charity, I will link the store in the show notes and on our Facebook page. And congratulations to this week's t-shirt winner... Didi Rockhold. Didi's comment was selected at random by the YouTube comment picker, and you can see the snapshot of that on social media. Didi, please reach out to us with your address, and we will send you a free Where Are They podcast t-shirt. I'm also super excited to share with you this week's partner, Hunt a Killer. 
Hunt a Killer is a chance for you to play detective. Put your detective skills to work at home and see if you can solve the crime. This subscription box or at-home game will come to you each month. Each consists of six boxes of evidence that will be sent to you. Evidence could be things such as photographs, autopsy reports, witness statements, and so much more. After the final box arrives, if you were able to detect all of the clues and put it all together, you will solve the crime. These boxes are perfect for game nights with family or friends, date night activities, or even perfect just to do alone. There are different storylines, and this is such a fun activity for any true crime buffs out there. You will find our discount link offering 20% off in the show notes, and we will share on our social media pages as well. Let us know if you are joining in on the fun with Hunt a Killer and if you love it, but don't give away any clues. And remember, supporting our partners supports our show as well. So thank you so much to those of you who have checked into our partner links in any way. Okay, so now let's travel back to the year 1982 and talk about teenager Judith Chartier. At just 17 years old, Judy had her whole life in front of her. She was becoming an adult and had recently become engaged. She came from a close-knit family with seven brothers and was especially close to her brother, Joe. Judith had a love for animals, and when family and friends are asked to describe Judy, that is the one commonality that all of them will mention. Her family would also say that Judith had a little bit of a rebellious side that had began to display itself shortly before she would vanish. However, I don't think that it is too unusual, and neither does law enforcement in this case, as she was a 17-year-old girl growing up and finding her own way. There is nothing to indicate any serious legal issues or troubles of any kind. Judith Ann Chartier was a beautiful girl with shoulder-length brown hair and a big smile that would radiate through her entire face. Judith had recently become engaged to Roger Balcom, And Roger and Judy were a cute couple and had begun making plans to get married in the near future. While things in Judy's life were seemingly going well, Judy's job at a fast food restaurant was not. She had begun to be harassed by a male co-worker there. And friends and family would say that when Judy would discuss it with them, she would act quite frightened and scared of this individual. In fact, one day she would come home from work and ask her dad to come out to her car, her 1970s black Dodge Dart, and check in the trunk for her as she was too scared to open it. Her dad would do so and they would find nothing. And it was never clear as to what Judy was afraid of in her trunk or how someone would even have access to it. There were rumors after her disappearance that she may have been involved with some 
unsavory people who were trying to use her as a drug mule, someone to move drugs from one place to another. However, that was never confirmed to be anything more than a rumor. On June 5th, 1982, Judith and Roger would attend a party together in the neighboring town of Belrica, Massachusetts. Belrica is about seven to eight miles from Chelmsford, Massachusetts, where Judith lived. Roger would later be interviewed by police after Judith's disappearance, and this is the story he would tell. Also, please know Roger has never been a suspect. He passed a lie detector test and has continually assisted in the search for Judith since that night. Roger stated that he and Judy went to this party together. At some point during the night, another young man, whose name has never been disclosed, would start flirting with Judy and Roger became angry and jealous. He and Judy would have a fight about it and Judy and he would end up leaving the party. Judy drove Roger home and dropped him off. And Roger was unsure at that time if she was going to go back to the party, and he mostly assumed that she was just headed home. They had a signal in which Judith would call Roger, let the phone ring twice, and then hang up. This would let Roger know that Judith had made it home safely. Remember, for you younger listeners out there, there were no cell phones, and home phones were the only way to communicate. Roger would not hear his phone ring that night at all, but seeing as they had just been arguing, he wasn't overly concerned. People at the party would also later confirm that Judy did indeed return to the party that night. She was seen by multiple people leaving around 2 o'clock a.m. and driving off. This was the last time Judith Chartier would be seen. When Judith failed to return home, of course her parents began to worry. But she was a teenager, and in those days, people often just thought if a teenager went missing, it was most likely on their own accord. But it was the events of the next morning that raised more red flags to the Chartier family. Two young men came knocking on the door of the Chartier family home, Ken Barden and Roger Cloutier. This might get confusing. Please remember that Judy's fiance was Roger Balcom, and the man at the door is a different Roger, Roger Cloutier. The men were acting a bit weird, and they told Judith's parents they heard she was missing, and they just wanted to come by and say they were sorry. At this point in time, her parents had been concerned about Judy and her whereabouts, but she was not considered missing by anyone. Judith's parents immediately panicked and grew quite concerned. Her mother would start making phone calls to people that they knew, and she would also call other family members, including her son and Judith's older brother, Joe. Joe would race over to the home and find the two young men still there. When they reiterated to him that they just came by to let the family know that they had heard Judy was missing, Joe went into search mode. He began driving around town and looking for Judy himself, while his parents alerted both Chelmsford police and Bilrucka police. 
Police Department. Later, Joe would say that he wished he had questioned Roger and Ken further that day, but he wasn't thinking clearly, and hindsight is 2020. All he was concerned with was finding Judy. And to this day, he wonders now, as many do, how did they know Judy was missing before anyone else? Police would question Roger and Ken, but they would actually lawyer up really quickly, and no answers to that question would ever be provided, at least to the family. Meanwhile, Judy's fiancé, Roger Balcom, would also be questioned heavily by police. But everything he stated to them would be corroborated by partygoers, and Roger Balcom was cleared of being involved in any way in Judith's disappearance. The police began searching on foot. They looked in the wooded areas and even bodies of water nearby. Helicopters were even brought in to aid in the search. As they were not only searching for Judith, but her black Dodge Dart had also gone missing. That Saturday would prove to be a trying one for law enforcement in Massachusetts. While they are learning of the disappearance of Judith Chartier and investigating that, they learn that a young woman's body was found by a jogger in Harvard, Massachusetts. Harvard is about 15 miles from Chelmsford, about a 20-minute drive. The body would be identified as 19-year-old Brenda Lacombe from Lowell, Massachusetts. Brenda had disappeared in the middle of the night back on May 15th. To this day, Brenda's murder remains an unsolved cold case. Many wonder if there is a connection. It was said that somehow Judy knew Brenda. They lived in neighboring towns, and they were fairly close in age. Brenda had left her grandmother's house at 12.45 a.m. on March 15th, leaving to head home, presumably, and was never seen again. The private detective, who would be hired later on in Judith's case, has stated that she believes there is a very high likelihood that the two girls' cases are connected somehow. I spent some time looking at the map to see how all of these cities relate to one another, and I wanted to share some facts. First, we have Brenda Lacombe, who lives in Lowell, and is found murdered in Harvard. Lowell is a good-sized city of about 100,000 residents in the early 1980s, while Harvard is just a small town of just a few thousand. Harvard is about a 20-minute drive to the west from Lowell. In driving to Harvard from Lowell, you pass through the town of Chelmsford, Judith's hometown. And when you look at Judith's last known whereabouts in the town of Belrica, Belrica is located just south of Chelmsford. And there is just one highway, Route 3, that passes by Belrica, Chelmsford, and then into Lowell, making it a straight drive north from Belrica to Chelmsford and then to Lowell. These towns are also just a 30 to 45 minute drive to the much larger city of Boston, Massachusetts. 
The town of Lowell is the northernmost and is just minutes actually from the New Hampshire border. So as I'm examining the map, another interesting thing jumps out to me and I immediately think of Maura Murray. If you aren't familiar with the Maura Murray case, there are tons of podcasts out there that cover it, books written about it, and even documentaries. Essentially, Maura Murray was a college student at UMass when she disappeared. Under very suspicious and unusual circumstances, on February 9th of 2004, her car was found abandoned on a mountain road in Haverhill, New Hampshire, with zero clues as to where Maura was. And tremendous efforts were put into searching for her, but to this day, her case remains unsolved. Mara was from Hanson, Massachusetts, just south of Boston, and disappeared from Haverhill, New Hampshire. If you look at that route, it is a straight shot north on Route 3. So you can actually drive the route straight and pass through or very near all of the mentioned towns. Now, clearly, I don't think the Maury Murray case is related to the disappearance of Judith Chartier or the murder of Brenda Lacombe. But an interesting fact, nonetheless, and hopefully it helps paint a picture of the area in which these girls were all last seen. In 1983, the police would receive a tip from an interesting source. Now, Judith has been missing for around one year. And it was the United States Secret Service that called Chelmsford Police Department with some possible information. They had just arrested a man, James Mitchell D. Bartleben, known by Mike. And if that's not the toughest pronouncing last name I've come across yet, I don't know what is. So I'm going to refer to him just as Mike. So the Secret Service had been investigating Mike on counterfeit charges. He was known to pass counterfeit bills at malls located right off major highways and interstates. When he was arrested in Northern Virginia, the Secret Service found a lot more than just counterfeiting going on. They discovered photographs depicting the rapes and murders of women. FBI profilers speculate that in the photographs where his face is seen along with the victims, that he likely murdered the woman and disposed of her body. Whereas, in photographs where he is hiding his face, he allowed the victim to live. De Bartleben represented himself in court and was ultimately convicted of multiple crimes and sentenced to 375 years in federal prison. Mike had a type, according to the evidence that they discovered, and Judith fit the profile. Pretty, young, brunette, But even more damning was a map of the Chelmsford area and a motel receipt dated June 4th, 1982, the day before Judith would disappear. Although he was suspected of murdering some young women, he never confessed and was never charged with murder as they never uncovered any evidence. But the timing is definitely suspect. Investigators would attempt to connect him to cases of missing women all over the East, 
but would never be able to do so, although they are certain that he was guilty of committing murders. Mike would die in prison of pneumonia in 2011. Meanwhile, Judith's case would go silent until 2012. A tip led investigators to a home just a few doors down from the Chartier's previous residence in Chelmsford, Massachusetts, and they began a dig of the property. Ironically, this home was actually purchased by a relative of the Chartier's in 1994. Local media picked this up and the town began to wonder if family might be involved. It is not known who or where this tip even came from. When bones were discovered in the backyard of this home, the media swarmed in again and many wondered if this was the end of the case, if Judith had finally been found. However, it would be proven that the bones discovered were animal bones and not human. Shortly after, a call would come in to a family friend. A woman named Val had said she knew what happened to Judy, but was afraid to say anything as her life had been threatened. When Judith's brother Joe heard about this call, he tried to track down this Val so that he could speak to her himself. Val never made it known as to what her last name was, and Joe tried endlessly to figure it out himself. It would be many months before he would, but he would be too late. Val had taken her own life. Her last name was never made public. The family decided in 2015 to hire a private investigator to help renew interest in the case. Since so much time had gone by, Judith's brother Joe was hopeful that someone might come forward and talk. In 2017, this private investigator, Sarah Stein, held a campaign for tips at a hotel in Chelmsford. The event was titled Justice for Judy and was successful in getting some renewed media coverage on Judith's case. Stein said they received a good turnout and obtained a lot of great information. When asked if she would be holding another event in the future, she stated, quote, To be honest, I don't think we're going to have to. I think we have enough information that we have gotten today that it is very possible we will be bringing her home soon. Unquote. Over the years, many theories have emerged and many questions. And while researching this case, there were several questions that would continually come up in my mind as well. Question number one. What was the story with the co-worker at the restaurant? If she was frightened, it kind of seems like something was going on. Something a little more than just an overly annoying co-worker that was harassing her. Other than being mentioned 
as the fact that she had a co-worker she was possibly scared of, nothing more has ever been mentioned about this. Nor has that person ever been publicly identified, at least as far as I was able to uncover. Question number two, why did she have her dad open her trunk that one day? Allegedly, this was shortly before her disappearance, and what did she think could be in there, and how would they have accessed her trunk? It seems like a very odd request, and for her to get her father involved tells me that she probably was frightened, especially if she was involved with some unsavory people. She was frightened enough to go to her father about it. Then again, this incident could be completely unrelated and maybe blown out of proportion. Question number three, was the young man that was flirting with her at the party ever identified and questioned? Again, not much has been said about this incident either. And if this was just happening at the party and she was last seen leaving the party, I definitely wonder what happened with that person. And it's very likely that it was completely innocent and that young man went home on his own and they went their own separate ways, which is very possible since it hasn't been discussed much, but nothing has been mentioned in the way of clearing this young man either. Question number four, and this is a big one. Why did the two men that came to the Chartier house that morning never come forward with an explanation? How in-depth was the investigation into their stories? Also, very little is mentioned about this, and to me, this might be the oddest detail yet in Judith's story. In all of the news articles and the missing persons databases that carry Judith's story, this was never mentioned. This was a detail that came straight from Joe Chartier, with the point of telling it because it was never really mentioned. How did they know Judith was missing? Why would they go to the Chartier's house asking about it or telling them about it? And why did they lawyer up so quickly after being questioned by the police? Question number five. What was the nature of the relationship between Judy and Brenda Lacombe? It was said that they knew each other, but how? Being that the Brenda Lacombe murder remains unsolved definitely leads to the fact that the two cases may be connected. There are a lot of similarities, and it is quite a coincidence. The retired police detective that worked Judith's case back in 1982 and throughout the 80s has always said this is a case that haunts him. He admits that missing teenager cases were looked at differently back in 1982. Most people just thought they ran off with friends, especially if it was following a party of some sort. Maybe she had gotten drunk and had to sleep it off somewhere. Maybe there were drugs involved. There was no way to really track anyone either in those days. There were no cell phones to ping or check text messages of no GPS tracking on vehicles, and there was no Amber Alert or media-wide system 
for alerting the public of missing persons. Even though there is very little information to go on, let's discuss some possible theories. Theory number one, Judith ran off. This was thought about in the immediate days after her disappearance. After all, she had been acting a bit rebellious and she was a 17-year-old girl who had just had a fight with her fiancé. But when she failed to come home, and both she and her car were never discovered anywhere, this theory took a back seat. Judith also never picked up her last paycheck at work, and there was no activity on her bank accounts or her social security number. Theory number two, Judith fell victim to foul play at the hands of someone she knew possibly from the party, since this is where she was last seen. This might also explain the odd visit from the two guys the next day at her home. Did they know something? And if this is the case, her body and her car have remained hidden for all of these years with no clues. I can't imagine also that if multiple people had known about something that happened to Judy, that they would have spoken up by now. Statistically, the FBI says 80% of homicide victims know their killers. Although, I do want to mention it's never been very clear as to how Judy knew these two young men that came to her home that day. Theory number three, Judith fell victim to foul play at the hands of a stranger. So if 80% of homicide victims know their killer, the other 20% of homicides, of course, are committed by strangers. Maybe she was followed after she left the party. Maybe she had car trouble along the way and had pulled over. Or maybe someone who she had met at her fast food restaurant job had tracked her down. If this is indeed the case of what happened to Judith, they did a good job of covering up their crime and hiding her car. Theory number four, James Mitchell DeBartleben, a.k.a. Mike. A lot seems to connect him to the Chelmsford area at the exact time of Judith's disappearance. Judith was also his type, young, pretty, and brunette. He had a history of kidnapping, raping, and assaulting women, although no proof would ever be found that he was connected to Judith's disappearance. And if he was, it might be even harder to prove now as he passed away in prison back in 2011. Now, the FBI does know and believe that DeBartleben did murder several young women that have remained unidentified to this day. Is Judith Chartier one of them? Theory number five, a car accident. This isn't mentioned a ton in the discussions out there, but there are so many cases that are solved later, sometimes many, many years later, when vehicles are pulled out of bodies of water. I know there were many searches conducted in the lakes and rivers nearby, but is it possible something was missed? Judith was driving home in the early morning hours after a party. Did she miss a turn? Did she get lost? 
Was there drinking and drugs at this party to impair her ability to drive home? Not much is said about that last part, but I don't think this theory can completely be ruled out. Theory number six, a serial killer. So this does relate to my theory number three of Judy meeting with foul play at the hands of a stranger. But could this stranger have been a serial killer? DeBartleben was considered a possible serial killer, and after examining the map, I don't think a serial killer is out of the realm of possibilities. Brenda Lacombe was found in a nearby area at the same time of Judy's disappearance. Are their cases related? I also just covered the case of Patrick Carnes, in which I learned that the FBI and other law enforcement believe there are highway serial killers out there, possibly truck drivers or nomads that travel on the highways. Since there is a highway that runs through all of these areas, I think it's a possibility that cannot at least be ruled out. I also think it's quite a coincidence that Brenda Lacombe, a young woman that knew Judy and lived in a neighboring town, was found murdered the same day that Judy disappeared. I suppose it could be just that, a coincidence. But we can't rule out a connection between the two, at least until proven otherwise. Judith's family continues to search for answers. Her parents are both deceased, but her brother Joe is active in looking for answers to his sister's disappearance. Joe believes if someone was threatened to keep quiet that many years ago, that those threats mean nothing now and he begs someone to come forward. Joe has said this of his sister's disappearance, quote, It hurts all the time. It's a hurt I can't explain. It's heavy on the heart. It's very hard because Judy was my best friend growing up. Unquote. Judith's disappearance is deemed suspicious by law enforcement, and the missing persons database has her case classified as a non-family abduction. Judith Ann Chartier was 5 foot 5 inches tall and approximately 135 pounds at the time of her disappearance. She was last seen wearing a white sweater with brown buttons, brown corduroy pants, and tan sandals. On the day of her disappearance, she was 17 years old. Judith's case is now 39 years old, but I'm convinced someone knows something, or even that one day she will be found. Her brother Joe is getting older now, and he prays that this case might be solved during his lifetime. If you might have any information as to the whereabouts of Judith Chartier or any information at all about her case, please contact the Chelmsford Police Department at 978-256-2521. A big thank you again to Pam Fitzgerald for suggesting this case to us on Facebook. You can always suggest cases to us there, DM us on Instagram, or email me at canwefindthem at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode and listening to Judy Chartier's story. 
please share her case and spread the word about her disappearance any way you can. A few reminders. Proceeds from the sale of our merchandise will be benefiting the Find the Children organization this month. We will link that in our show notes and on Facebook for you. Be on the lookout for some shorter bonus episodes this month. We are wanting to give a voice to the smaller cases with less information on them, but cases still deserving of being talked about and solved. Also, a big thank you this week to our partner, Hunt a Killer. Be sure to check them out and test out your very own detective skills. A discount link will be available in the show notes and on Facebook. Congratulations again to this week's t-shirt winner, Dee Dee Rockholt. Make sure you enter this week's contest and help our cases gain more exposure while you're at it. This week's contest will be on the Tika Lewis video. To enter, just subscribe to our YouTube channel, watch Tika's video, and leave a comment underneath it with your thoughts. These actions will help Tika's case get more exposure, and we will announce another winner next week selected at random from the comments. Thank you again for listening and sharing Judith Chartier's story. We will be back again next week with another Missing Persons Case episode and a bonus episode. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.